Welcome to MuggleCast, your weekly ride into J.K. Rowling's Wizarding World. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. And I'm Laura. And we're in some weird times right now. And we hosted a live stream earlier this week just to check in on all of our lovely listeners. And that was a lot of fun. So if you haven't checked that out yet, please do. You will find it linked in our uh, social media channels and in the show notes of today's episode. I hope everybody's doing okay and hope everybody's enjoying the podcast right now as we get through this stressful time. I think, um, well, at least three of us are working from home now. Right, Laura and Micah? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. How's that like for you guys? Um, it. I think it's going to get old. Yeah. Mm. It's been okay. A- Andrew, I will say, I have a deeper appreciation for you now, too. Yep. Oh, in what way? Well, you work from home on the regular. Yeah. This this is not easy. And now everybody knows how much it sucks. <laughs> it's, a, it's a challenge, though, because, I mean, depending on kind of what your situation is, whether you're in a house, you're in an apartment, how many people live with you, it's hard to... to not blur the line between your work and your personal and exactly yeah it's it's tough yeah i i completely agree with that so for that reason for all of you who are now working from home hopefully you are dealing with it okay if you have if you need any tips maybe uh hit us up on social media we can try to provide some i noticed at the top of the show you said jk rowling's wizarding world i haven't heard you say that in quite some time or is she uh back in your Good graces. Uh, she never left my good graces. I know one thing that is soothing the four of us right now. We received some candles from one of our listeners, Devin. Devin really came through for us because a couple months ago now, we were talking about um, the hogshead and what it smells like. And Devin, as it turns out, is a candle maker. And he can make any type of candle, any type of scent. So he sent Micah a candle that smells like goats. <laughs> and it smells fantastic. By really? The way. <laughs> Describe the smell for us. Well, <laughs> let's let's do this right now. I have it right here. Yeah. It's not lit. It's almost like a, a minty type of smell. Maybe I got it wrong. Devin probably would be able to tell you exactly what's in it. But on the outside, it does have a picture of Aberforth. <laughs> and... A screaming goat. Really? It has like a, a goat that is looking like it's in some sort of distress. And there's a lot of uh, <laughs> like effects around its head. Wow. But Aberforth is at least six feet away from the goat. Oh. So he is practicing social distancing. <laughs> Perfect. Please take a picture and send that to us immediately because I really need to see this label. Um, so thank you. Do you want me to light the candle? I'll light the candle. Too. Yeah, yeah, please. But we all got candles from Devin. Yeah, mine smells like butterbeer and it smells great. Yeah, mine smells like pumpkin juice. It smells really, really good. And I got uh, one that has Harry's birthday cake on it from Hagrid. That's awesome. That's awesome. So thank you, Devin. That was it, it was really nice receiving those. So yeah, a lot of things are changing in light of the coronavirus pandemic. And last week, we spoke about Fantastic Beasts 3 still planning on filming. Well, the day after we recorded, they decided that they were not going to proceed with shooting. So the film has been delayed again. Of course, it was delayed last year when they decided to work on the script longer. So now this is the second time it's been delayed. Who knows when Fantastic Beasts 3 and every other Hollywood production will resume shooting. It could be a long time from now. It could be a month from now. We don't know. Um, If production is paused for a few more months, they could very well push that November 21 release date for the movie because 
they're gonna have to spend a lot of time on special effects and of course shooting the movie mm-hmm. yep so the other thing that you had brought up when we did the live show that i thought uh was really smart was the fact that there are all these other movies right now that are being delayed and that could also have an impact on when the third film is released. Yeah, there could be this domino effect where if some movies get delayed now, they'll push other movies down the line and the movies down the line will be pushed even further. So yeah, there could be this ricochet effect. So we will see. Man, I I just want all the movies to come out at once. Isn't that be cool? Like not not all the Fantastic Beasts, but <laughs> all the ones that kept getting pushed back, just released on one weekend, say the theaters are safe now, the crisis is over. Go watch movies all weekend. And then, then come on out. Yeah. Yeah, that would be nice. Yeah. As long as everybody's paying for each movie and not movie hopping. Or maybe like a, a film festival type pass where you get you go and then it's like all weekend. But yeah, they pushed James Bond back. I was real upset about. Oh, yeah. I'm so ready for that. Ugh. That moved to November. Fast and Furious moved to next year. Yeah. It's yeah. crazy. If they were smart. They would release these digitally and yeah. just put them behind the paywall. The- A couple of studios have done that so far, actually. In fact, Disney Mm -hmm. just released Onward, their brand new Pixar movie, and that's it's available for rent for 20 bucks, which isn't too bad if you think about how um, how much movie tickets cost when you're buying for like a family of four. Um, But it will also be on Disney Plus on April 3rd and Universal released a few movies already. Also rentable for $20. So, yeah, some studios are taking that advice, Micah, as they should. So go ahead and watch Emma this weekend, the latest Jane Austen adaptation. I know you're a huge Jane Austen fan. Mm, Huge. (laughs) J.K. Rowling is trying to do her part as well. She announced that she is granting an open license for teachers during the COVID-19 outbreak. Mm -hmm. Teachers can now post videos of themselves reading aloud from the Harry Potter books to children prevented from attending school because of the virus. Um, teachers anywhere in the world are permitted to post videos of themselves reading from Harry Potter books one through seven onto the school's secure networks or closed educational platforms. The open license for teachers is the first of several initiatives being planned to help bring Harry Potter to children at home, which will be announced shortly. Hashtag Harry Potter at home. So they've got some plans in the works in light of this outbreak. I didn't even realize you needed permission from JK Rowling to read the Harry Potter books to your kids over the internet, even on a closed network that nobody else has access to. Yeah, I I do think that's a little odd, um, but I think the intention is good here. So I'm going to take that. Um, But I'm really excited to see what the next initiative is. Right. Like, are they going to make the eBooks readily accessible to the public or maybe the movies? Maybe the movies. It all seems targeted towards children, though, at least for the mm. time being. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we'll see. Yeah. But it, to Laura's point, I think it's it's just a formality so that there aren't any issues that arise. She's just putting it out there that it's okay for teachers to be able to do this. But we actually have our own version no. of no, some we of don't. these books, mm. right? We started no, it we don't. Patreon. What are you talking about? Oh, come on. No, we don't. J.K. Rowling, don't listen to Micah. We don't have our chapter readings on Patreon. J.K. Rowling doesn't even listen to the show. Team J.K. Rowling. But um, but J.K. Rowling should read. She should get on Twitter. I mean, I'm sure she has other things that she's <laughs> doing, but I've seen this. A lot a lot of celebrities, right? Yeah. Um, somebody told me the, the actor who played, um, is it Olaf oh. in Frozen? Yeah, Josh Gad. Great idea. Why not? I mean, 
people aren't doing a whole lot of anything right now because they're locked in and they can't go out. But I think that would be a great opportunity for J.K. Rowling to um, you know, show us all that she's doing well, number one. But number two, to uh, read from Sorcerer's Stone or, or any of the other books. Yeah, that'd be cool. Kids would love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's, um, there's actually a YouTube uh, channel now where these stars are going. It's um, Storyline story Online, it's called. But like Kristen Bell, David Harbour of Stranger Things is reading a book called Snapsy the Alligator over online. And it's just on YouTube. So there's a lot of really cool um celebrities are pitching in there's a lot of really cool things that you're that people are doing to ease this uh isolation so stay safe everybody wash your hands don't touch your face and keep listening to MuggleCast. you won't get coronavirus from us because this is all digital so we're going to do two things today that are a little different as if your world isn't changing <laughs> enough right now <laughs> nice intro <laughs> first of all we're going to play a game to lighten the mood and second of all, for the first time, I think, in chapter-by-chapter chapter history, we are only going to do a half of a chapter. And that's because there is a lot packed into chapter 22 of Order of the Phoenix, so we didn't want to try and cram it all into one episode. Plus, with us... This is how it all starts, though, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just throwing it out there. Like, this is how the whole Horcrux thing started. Oh, let's just do one. Before you know it, we're going to be cutting chapters into seven pieces. Well, that's okay. We've got some time to fill. And now Fantastic <laughs> Beast 3 isn't coming out till like November 2025. So <laughs> we're all stuck at home. We're going to launch page by page here on MuggleCast. <laughs> Each episode dedicated to a page of J.K. Rowling's Wizarding We're talking Wizarding about paragraph World. seven today. Yep. Yes. Sentence by sentence. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Laura, you're going to need to connect the threads between words that show up on each of those pages in respective books. Oh, my God. Please, no. No, no the, a, it. It has to be like Harry or Gotcha. Like no, that. no definite or indefinite articles actually for april fools we should do like a page by page segment where we just spend an entire episode on a page of the book but you just spoiled it (laughs) that'd be so fun though just trying to vamp for a half hour on a single page of a harry potter book (laughs) anyway so let's start with this game all right many of you are probably familiar with sporkle this is a website where you can play all kinds of quizzes and unique games that you can't find elsewhere i don't think so we are going to play a harry potter name chain game can you name the harry potter fact based on the previous answer there's 55 of these whoa this is an eight minute timer but we're going to try to do seven minutes because seven (laughs) and we're harry potter experts so let's see how we do is everybody ready you can see my screen so so how is this we the answer is based on the previous answer do you know exactly Yeah. As soon as as soon as you see this, you'll know how it works. You'll get it. All right. This is not like heads up, by the way. That was a lot of fun that we played Mm -hmm. on Wednesday. We all did terrible in our first round. No, the last one. Oh, I was going to say you did really well in the last round. But that's because Laura and I, as Ravenclaws, were delivering such amazing. Yeah. I'll give you guys credit. Sure. Takes two. I feel like when playing heads up, I am far better as a hint giver Mm. than a hint receiver. Yeah. Yeah, you were given some great hints. Um, it's definitely two different muscles. Everybody be sure to watch that. That's a lot of fun, and that's available to everybody. All right, so here we go. Play quiz. The boy who lived. Harry Potter. Good. Is best friends with? Ron Weasley. Ron. Who ends up marrying? Ginny. Hermione. Oh. Ginny. Oh. No, Hermione. Oh, my God, you scared me. Oh, wow. 
Victor. What kind of, wow. Victor. Goes Game of Thrones style. Who goes to the U-Ball with Victor. Yeah. Whose headmaster is... Karkaroff. Karkaroff. Who is interrogated in prison by... Barty Crouch. Barty. Ooh. Whose son impersonates... Moody. Mad-Eye. Who dies while flying with... Mundungus. Mm. Mundungus. Who steals from the House of Black. Black. Who helped create this secret document, uh, Marauders. Yeah, map. Which fell into the hands of... Fred and George. Whose sister is... Ginny! There's the Ginny. <laughs> There's Ginny. Uh, finally. Eric couldn't wait for that. <laughs> Whose friend in Ravenclaw is... Michael Corner. Luna. Oh, well... Luna? I think... Oh, darn, Luna. it was Luna. Whose father is the editor, Quibbler. Quibbler, which featured a Harry Potter article written by Rita, Rita Skeeter, who was a reporter at this event. Triwizard Tournament. Triwizard Tournaments, which was hosted by Hogwarts? Hogwarts. Yeah. Whose headmaster is Dumbledore, Dumbledore who is killed by Snape. Snape. Spoiler alert. <laughs> who pretends he works for Voldemort. <laughs> whose loyal animagus follower is Peter Pettigrew. Oh, he's a Nagini. Who was discovered to be alive by this professor? The answer was Wormtail. Remus uh, Lupin. Quirrell. 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 Why would it? Nope. No, no. Sorry. No, no, Wormtail. Yeah, it was Wormtail. Just... Go ahead, Lupin. Lupin. Okay, Lupin was bri- bitten by Greyback. Greyback. Who also attacked this Weasley? Bill. Oh. Who is married to Flower, whose wedding is interrupted by the Patronus of Kingsley, Kingsley? Shacklebolt, uh, who at the time worked for this man. Budge? Or no, Scrimgeour? Oh, yeah. Good one. Yeah. Who is the successor of Fudge. Fudge. Fudge? Who instituted himself at Hogwarts by means of this person? Ooh. Dolores Umbridge. Umbridge. Boo. Uh, who elects this person as head of her inquisitorial squad. Draco Malfoy. Whose mother is... Uh, Narcissa. Narcissa. Whose Death Eater sister is... Bellatrix. 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 Who tortures this student's parents. Neville. Neville. Who gets tortured by this professor. Uh, Snape. Again? Yeah. No, no I think it's I, somebody else. It's only once. No. Um, shoot, what are the brother and sister? Oh, Electo and Amicus oh, Caro. Yeah. Car- the Caros. Caro? Yeah, okay. There we yep. go. Amicus Caro. There you go. Who teaches this subject? Defense against. Dark arts. Which was taught by this professor in Harry's first year. Quirrell. Quirrell. I already had him. But it... No. Mm-mm. No, I missed that. One. that Who meets Harry for the first time in this place? Oh, the... Oh, three brooms? Leaky Cauldron. Leaky Cauldron, yeah. The Lake Cauldron. That's in London. Which lies at the entrance to... Diagon Alley. Diagon Alley. In which lies this one's... uh, Ollivander. This one man's wand shop. (laughs) (laughs) Tongue twister. (laughs) Who gets rescued from Malfoy Manor by this house elf. Dobby. Dobby. Whose master was Lucius. Who secretly gives Ginny this... Tom Riddle's diary. Maybe just the diary. Yeah. Which hits this character on the head in the bathroom. <laughs> Moaning Myrtle. Oh my god. Can I <laughs> spell it right? Wow. Mur- Watch, I wish, I hope this, oh my M Y R. Help me. M Y R T L E. Thank you. Whose <laughs> <laughs> bathroom lies? Chamber of, Chamber secrets. of secrets. We have about uh, two minutes left, which contains this creature. Basilisk. 
who petrifies this Hufflepuff student? Uh, Is it Ernie? Oh, what? Uh, no, Justin Finch Fletchley. That's it. Who joins this secret organization? Dumbledore's, Dumbledore's Army. Army. Whose meeting takes place in the requirement. Room. I think we're reading hard as a team. <laughs> Which is the home of this Horcrux? Diadem. Diadem. Whose location was revealed to Tom Riddle by? Great Lady. Ooh. Ooh. Who was killed by? Bloody Baron. Bloody Baron. Who is the ghost of this house? Ravenclaw. Slytherin. Oh, <laughs> yes. oh, no, it's Slytherin. Slytherin. It's, it's uh, the most recent answer. Slytherin. Whose head in the seventh book is? Slughorn. Oh, good times. Whose favorite Muggle-born student was? Lily. Uh, All right, and here comes the final one. Whose son is? Harry Potter. <laughs> Harry Potter. <laughs> oh, oh, tough one. That's uh, the only one you get twice. All right, so we did that in about a little under six minutes. Good job, guys. Yeah. Wow. We got a hundred percent average score on Sporkle for this quiz. Forty nine percent. Sporkle wasn't ready for us. <laughs> Sporkle's like, wow. Some Harry Potter podcasters just play. They sure know their stuff. <laughs> All right, that was fun, and uh, we'll put a link to that quiz in the show notes if anybody else wants to try that themselves. All right. Well, before we move on to chapter by chapter, we do have a quick word from one of my favorite sponsors, Third Love. I've been wearing Third Love's bras for over a year at this point. Third Love's bras are designed to fit you, not the other way around. They have over 80 sizes, but know that the only size that matters is yours. I stand by these bras because they are seriously the most comfortable ones I've ever worn. I was pretty amazed when I took their Fit Finder quiz online and subsequently received the best fitting bra I've ever had. They have straps that don't slip and tagless labels, so no itching. My favorite part are the lightweight, super thin memory foam cups that mold to your shape. And if you need help figuring out your size, they have a team of fit stylists available via chat and email dedicated to helping you find your perfect fit. And if you don't love it, Every customer has 60 days to wear it, wash it, and put it to the test. Then return it for free, and Third Love will wash it and donate it to a person in need. Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone, so right now they're offering our listeners 15% off your first order. Go to thirdlove.com slash mugglecast to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash mugglecast for 15% off today. Okay, it's time for chapter by chapter, and this week we are discussing the first half of Order of the Phoenix, chapter 22. And we will start, as always, with our seven-word summary. Here's a question. Do we do four-word summary? Because it's half a chapter. <laughs> I guess so. No. <laughs> and then next week, because well, we're going to collect these at the end, right? And have the chapter art with the seven-word summary. So you know, unless we want to have two seven-word summaries, we should split this in half. No. <laughs> okay. Well, but then... It... <laughs> Are are you going to give half an MVP and half a <laughs> name the chapter? Well, okay. So then let's set, let's say in advance: is this seven word summary a summary for the whole chapter or just for the part that we're covering? I think just part one. Yeah, yeah, just part one because I didn't read the rest of the chapter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. I also stopped. Yeah, halfway through the chapter. Yeah, so. Eric, Eric, you're the one that gave direction. Here. No, it's true. So. I really felt like there was a lot of stuff in the first half, and the second half has all those departments at the hospital, like all crazy stuff going on. So, 
It was me. I, I was like, hey, this is, I caused this mess. Apologies to everybody. Yep. Or we can screw with them, Eric, and we can make this about the entire chapter and we can watch them screw up and get lost. That's <laughs> well, their fault. I think Laura and I have a pretty good idea what happened. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, so... All right, fine. I, I, I have read this book at least once. <laughs> all right, part one. Go ahead. Whenever you're ready. Arthur. Survives. Bye. Receiving. Care. From. Portraits. Yay! Yeah. That was a quick one. <laughs> we did good. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, there is a lot that happens in the first half of this chapter. Definitely. And it's no surprise, I guess, that the chapter starts with Harry kind of panicking after what he has seen or encountered or done. But we'll remember at the end of the previous chapter, it was Neville that went and ran and got Professor McGonagall. And, and, and thankfully, Professor McGonagall is you know, ready for action. She says, we are going to see the headmaster. But when they go to Dumbledore's office and the password is fizzing Wisby, I'm going to take issue with the complexity requirements of Dumbledore's password. Does he want everybody to guess it? And that's not really secure, is it? It does seem a little surprising. And just a password, just a verbal password is very antiquated anyway. Ooh, he should be doing two-factor yeah. authentication. Right. Yeah, fingerprint, face ID. <laughs> Andrew. Two-factor. You know what that sounds like to me? A security nightmare. Starting to sound like a security nightmare. Security nightmare. Get two-factor, Dumbledore. <laughs> there should be additional layers of security. This is a scary time right now. Yeah, yeah like... Even if, like, somebody gave the password and then Dumbledore's wand, like, lit up and projected on the wall and, like, showed a video of who was downstairs so he yeah. could be like, oh, yes, let Minerva up. Yes. Or, Where's his oh, nest no, cam? not Umbridge. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe maybe it's simply that Dumbledore knows he could kick anybody's butt. Well, that's... So he's they got can quite just an... try. They can Ugh. just try to come... Come up to his office and see how that goes for you. His ego, man. His he's just like, yeah, c come what may, you know. Or maybe it's that the the gargoyle is so loud when it when it turns that he'll hear them coming a mile. Yeah, away. get a little warning. Although Time to I don't think so because well, maybe they do because well, it's only when McGonagall knocks on the door that they quiet down. So oh. I don't think they can hear the gargoyle. Oh, that's true. They were they were partying so loudly up in there. I know. Dumbledore clearly has like a portrait party every night with uh, all those former headmasters and headmistresses. But yeah, there's definitely a commotion going on. But but sweeping back to just passwords real quick, you know, we've seen so many ways of protecting, you know, areas, especially the Tom Riddle way, which is like wound yourself. But it just seems funny and silly to me that, you know, there isn't a stronger password. Um, or that it's guessable because it's, you know, if Draco, for instance, wanted to kill Dumbledore, all he really needs to do is come with a list of uh, Honeyduke's items and eventually he'd get in and be able to do it. But yeah. is it that simple? I, in the sense that to me, like simplicity, most people would assume a password to be far more complex, right? And that goes to Dumbledore's character, right? Not only is it kind of witty, but it's also... Not exactly what you would expect it to be. You would expect it to be something more difficult. Ah, yeah, you'd expect it to be like capital A, ampersand, <laughs> percentage sign. Can you imagine verbally carrot, verbally dictating that to them? Asterisk, <laughs> lowercase e, uppercase w, number two. 
And I kind of think that the gargoyle would attack or do something if somebody was trying to kind of break in who wasn't supposed to be there. Or we saw earlier in this book, the girl's uh, dormitory staircase turns into a slide. Maybe his staircase turns into a slide if Death Eaters try to walk up those stairs. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, the um, so I looked it up, and the previous list of passwords that Dumbledore has used just for fun, because there's been six of them that we're privy to, Acid Pops, Cockroach Cluster, Fizzing Wisby, Lemon Drop, Sherbet Lemon, and Toffee Eclairs. Cockroach Cluster. That's a candy? Uh, Yeah. Yeah, it's, Ew. they sell them at Honeydukes in the park, too, in the... uh. He just wanted one particular part of that candy in a password. Wow. Wow. The cluster, right? <laughs> cluster, yeah. yeah. But yeah, the portraits, they are having a grand old time, aren't they? Yeah, it seems like we learned in the scene that Harry uh, does walk in on a party of sorts and Dumbledore hangs out with all these portraits every night, perhaps. I mean, they're all sitting there anyway and he's there every night. So why shouldn't they all converse? And if you think about it, these are the headmasters of Hogwarts over hundreds of years. They must all have an incredible amount of knowledge that they can share with one another. So maybe these parties are just them exchanging information. Yeah, it definitely. And I, I think, you know, it's it's a good way of, um, I think Dumbledore uses them as, to, you know, to, an extension of his thoughts to like converse, to, to say things out in the open um right with these these former headmasters but i think that'll be something that we talk about through the rest of this discussion too is how much knowledge do those portraits have are they able to retain the knowledge of conversation and how much do they give in return like is somebody from the 1700s able to say to dumbledore wow we had this problem at hogwarts when i was headmaster and here's how we you know fixed it or is it a little bit more of a surface level kind of thing i i think the impression that we've been given from jk rowling is it is their personality i don't know if she's ever addressed the knowledge i would think they're able to share most of their memories because mm. their memories do in part define their personality yeah, I think that she's definitely uh, revealed in an interview or called them imprints or um, shadows. They're merely she kind of downplayed how like how much of their actual person was in it, specifically when talking about Dumbledore, because somebody said to her, oh, but now Dumbledore's portraits up there. You can, you know, just go ask him anything. and It'd be just like talking to Dumbledore. And I think in Cursed mm-hmm. Child, she wrote, you know, she kind of solves that a little bit or uh, maybe goes back on it a little bit with how Harry is able to talk. To Dumbledore. She does say on Potter No More that these portraits would be, uh, these portraits would not be capable of having a particularly in depth discussion about more complex aspects of their lives. They are literally and metaphorically two dimensional. Hmm. They are only representations of the living subjects as seen by the artist. Ah. Hmm. I don't know, though. I, what could they be talking about every night in Dumbledore's office if they don't have much depth to them? Yeah. Did you see what Fox did today? <laughs> Well, it it does seem like throughout this chapter, I mean, they're or at least this portion of the chapter, they're all very interested in like the hot goss. Like they're they're all like pretending to sleep, but they're really listening and like peeking through like slip like their eyelids a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I could see it very much being like 
surface level conversation or bickering with each other because mm-hmm. they all seem really uh they have they seem to have a propensity for doing that too it's like one of them says or does something and the rest of them erupt <laughs> in response yeah. to that thing yeah that's gonna be really annoying though by the way if you're trying to work like think of all the important things dumbledore is trying to solve for yeah and he's got 50 different people just yelling at each other i wonder if he can just put them on silent or do something <laughs> do not disturb Mute, maybe but i do think that after becoming portraits these individuals that are inside the portraits can probably retain memory um right i mean we see as much from the fat lady she knows who the students are she's constantly tracking you know what she you right. know because only gryffindors can get in so she kind of is keeping an eye on who's who she's learning the new students every year. I feel like by now, surely the oldest of the portraits would be basically a real person insofar as, you know, just experiences would build them up. So I, I, I think that even if they were just a, an artist rendering at first, they're more now and there's more to that in just a moment. Yeah. But one thing though, too, and, and I apologize, Laura, if you have this later on in connecting the threads, but you know, if you go back to Prisoner of Azkaban, that's really where I felt we got introduced to portraits' importance in terms of, and the ability to shift between, right? We see it with the fat lady when she's attacked at Gryffindor Tower by Sirius. Um, and then Sir Cadigan. Yeah, and I love that connection because, you know, when we see it in Prisoner of Azkaban, a lot of the um, sort of like portrait moments that we get are more comical um whereas here we actually see the portraits being very useful and you know really the only reason that arthur weasley lives right yeah definitely so uh we'll talk more on the portraits in just a sec but i had to ask as soon as mcgonagall and harry come into dumbledore's office dumbledore says oh it's you professor and uh he doesn't really say like oh harry's here or oh hello harry and it really kind of reminded me of the barrier that Dumbledore has had to put up to really ignore Harry's pain all year. It seems like he's gone so far that he's not even going to say, oh, hello, Harry, or acknowledge his like he's he's gone the the other end of the extreme of ignoring him that he really won't call him out. And we see this, you know, Harry's telling his whole story and Dumbledore's really not even looking at him not once. Well, Dumbledore's having a party with the portraits and McGonagall <laughs> comes in and it's like, oh, McGonagall, come on, join the fun. You're going to be headmaster one day anyway, so you should be a part of this. And then, oh, there's the buzzkill. Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> My scar hurts. It doesn't even... Umbridge hates me. How about Ron? Poor Ron doesn't oh. even get acknowledged. Uh, he doesn't even Ron. get a... Ah. Uh, Dumbledore is is pretty far gone. But I think this, whole, this goes to the point of, of what is wrong with Dumbledore right now from the standpoint of not wanting to interact with Harry at all. It's just, it's beyond a level of disrespect. It's just from a reader's standpoint, I think there's a growing frustration that we all have now from Harry's standpoint with Dumbledore because he's not even acknowledging him. He's not talking to him. It just doesn't seem like the level of hustle that you would expect when, you know, a member of the Order of the Phoenix has been murdered. I mean, is there this need for a security check? Wouldn't you originally, I mean, wouldn't you really, if you know that Arthur Weasley's on tonight at the shift of watching the door that's not supposed to be, that's be true. Known, but you know, do yeah. you really then need to go through 
50 questions. Um, you know, he asks Harry how he sees it um, or how he saw that the, the message. He chastises Harry for misunderstanding him, uh, that it was actually a direct question meant exactly as he asked it. Silly Harry, of course. And then from there on, he then goes and plays with some of his gizmos <laughs> and kind of does this other stuff before calling on Everard and Dillis, the portraits. I, I mean, I know I just really kind of gave it to Dumbledore, but at the same time, I think he's trying to figure out, because we know what happens later on in this book, whether or not what Harry is seeing is actually real. Well, because maybe Voldemort is manipulating what Harry is seeing. Exactly. But if he suspects that, it's it's kind of past the point where he should be cluing Harry in, right? Um, Harry, in this moment, can only feel hurt by the fact that Dumbledore is behaving this way, when in fact, if he had just come clean earlier and say, I heavily suspect there's a connection between you and Voldemort and that he will manipulate, then Harry could at least have a part of the puzzle as to why he's being ignored. Right. No, I, I agree. And, and he ends up tasking the worst possible person <laughs> for, for Harry to right. go through this whole process with in Snape. But I, I do think he is trying to figure a lot of things out in his mind right now. And there's still something about him not wanting to interact with Harry that just doesn't sit right with me as a reader. But the problem is Dumbledore doesn't want Voldemort to think that Dumbledore and Harry are close. Uh... That's why he's keeping the distance between the two of them. So he won't even say his name. Oh, Harry's here, you know, let alone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't want to trigger any bells in Voldemort's in, in brain. <laughs> Did I hear Dumbledore say Harry? It's time to tune yeah. in. Voldemort has that uh, keyword set up in his horcruxes. <laughs> keyword Anytime alert. anyone says Harry, it's like they come Google to Google news life. alert. <laughs> <laughs> Breaking news. Somebody wrote about Harry. Uh, so let's get back to the portraits. So Dumbledore calls upon two portraits in his office, Everard and Dillis. And he says to Everard, make sure he is found by the right people. And Dillis, uh, we'll talk about, actually, she shows up in the back half of this chapter, too. But he sends her, so presumably Everard, uh, actually, not presumably, it's described. Everard has a, a painting of himself hanging at the ministry. And so he is able to raise the alarm among a group of people who would be helpful towards Arthur, who probably shouldn't be down there. Right. They're going to go find him. They're going to pull him up. And then Dillis uh, has another painting, we'll find out, at St. Mungo's. So she is able to- Perfect. Yeah, it's it's absolutely perfect. And it makes me wonder, the rest of these headmasters, they were such important people, Dumbledore says, that many of them have multiple portraits of themselves, of the same person that they can just- Now they're visiting that way. Instead of just going into each other's portraits in the same room where they're hanged, they're going to their other selves. And it makes me wonder where everyone else's, like all the other headmasters might have. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's essentially a great spy network. Yeah, it is. Well, and it's also making me wonder if this was Dumbledore's plan all along. Hmm. This was one of his backup plans the whole time. He had a portrait at the ministry. So if, God forbid, anything ever happened to a member of the order, he would be able to quickly relay a message to somebody at the ministry. Hey, go check in on, uh, you know, the Hall of Prophecies. Go check in down at the Department of Mysteries because I think I've I've heard an attack. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, and it is said that there are no portraits down there in sort of right. the lower level. He's like a floor up or something. Yeah. Yeah. So he had to like scream until people came 
but which that would be i heard something all the way down there <laughs> you heard something all the way down there yes just go look <laughs> which which here's another it thing me... it's not really the most expedient way to save somebody's life arthur is bleeding out <laughs> the fact that this but that's the best he can do and i mean yeah. it's a pretty good system it works well but i but i know that that micah uh asked the question too a little, little later on but like is this dumbledore's plan then is this really the best way to protect members of the order of the phoenix you know arthur really was on his own completely down there it's it's just kind of shocking that there wasn't a more direct way of protecting or or at least having a buddy you know have a, have a do a buddy system kind of thing yeah that that's pretty much what i was wondering is it it seems like the order really has no other security measures in place should one of their own be found and attacked and we know that what they're guarding is extremely important and that not only is their side trying to protect it but it's clear that the other side is trying to retrieve it mm. and you know, sturgis gets mentioned a little bit later on um, when we're at grimmauld place about where maybe it's even in dumbledore's office but i can't remember um, so we know that there's already been attempts by voldemort's side to try and infiltrate so given that one of their own has already you know kind of fallen now this is the second member that has been attacked seems like there would be a little bit better security in place or something that's there to your point a buddy system i i don't know what it is but it just seems really poor planning on the part of of dumbledore and, and risky too i mean the order is not in huge numbers right now right mm -hmm. they don't have a ton of people on their side and they have the ministry working against them like they're trying to guard something in the place where their head person is totally in opposition to what Dumbledore stands mm -hmm. for. So it just, there, there's a lot of flaws here. That's my point. Yeah. Yeah. I just think it's hard because, you know, order members are really limited as it is. And we've already seen it established that if they get caught doing this, you know, the repercussions are pretty severe and it also risks outing the order. So say if we had like Arthur and Kingsley down chilling in front of, <laughs> you know, the Department of Mysteries. And first of all, that raises questions about like, wait, you guys are friends? Right. Uh, because they pretend not to know each other at work. And then it's like, well, what were you both doing here? Like, what's the connection between the two of you that had you both posted here? So I get it. It does suck um, because it's really not an ideal system for people's safety. But then Sirius does point out a little bit later in the chapter that, you know, Arthur did know what he signed up for. My problem with all of this is that you're relying on the off chance that Harry has a dream that he's inside of a snake that's attacking <laughs> Arthur for them to know that Arthur's been attacked. Like there's no yeah. like alarm that gets sounded. Like think about the coins that they're using for Dumbledore's army. There's, there's, they couldn't do something like that where, you know, Arthur, despite the fact that he's been attacked, he was, I'm sure still able maybe to reach in his pocket and touch a coin or, or do something that would alert the rest of the order that he's in trouble. It just seems like, you know, a very, very, it's coincidental yeah. that Harry has this. I mean, it's obviously written that way, but you know what I'm saying? Like it's. Yeah. You can't reverse engineer this kind of a problem and expect it to be solved. It wouldn't be if it were anywhere other than Harry. You're exactly right. Well, like, maybe order members do have some kind of 
emergency system. But if I recall correctly, Arthur was falling asleep when he got attacked. <laughs> Damn, right. that kills the whole art. <laughs> he couldn't go and rub his coin Sleepy quick Arthur. enough this, to alert this Dumbledore. This is Arthur's fault. Damn it. <laughs> um, but I, I was thinking of something that constantly monitors his vital signs or something. But then I, I remembered that that Dumbledore at some point says uh, to McGonagall that maybe Molly already knows that this has happened because of the Weasley clock. Right, the Weasley clock has a mm-hmm. spot for mortal peril, and it's constantly somehow it's constantly monitoring the existential status of its of of the whole family members. And like, why couldn't they do this on an order level as right. well? In Deathly Hallows, aren't they all pointing to mortal peril just because of the nature of the <laughs> yeah, situation? Right. So it's not yeah. like it's. <laughs> It's a clear indication of exactly what has happened. But right. if just one of them is pointing to mortal peril in the middle of the night, that's probably something to grow concerned that's about. True. But like, does he expect? And fair. maybe it's brought up in your notes here, Eric. That does it chime ominously for mortal peril because this is in the middle of the night. Molly's not sitting there watching this, or maybe she is staying up watching the clock because her husband is down at the Department of Mysteries mm. uh, during an uncertain time like this in the middle of the night, yeah. protecting something for the order. So I just wanted to go back a second because I feel like there could have been the chance that Everard's portrait was just passed by earlier on in this book when Harry was at the ministry. Mm-hmm. I don't remember for sure, but I just feel like given like you're saying later on in this chapter, Eric, that Dillis... We, we come in contact with her again. I wonder if that's like, just like a JK Rowling thing to just mention it in passing. And then obviously it comes full, full circle in this chapter. That's, that's a pretty cool idea. Yeah. Dillis uh, winks at Harry from across the, the <laughs> rotunda. And I think with Phineas, the, you know, he's tasked with going and, and talking with, with Sirius and, and making sure that it's okay for um, Harry, Ron and, Fred, George, Ginny, to be able to go to Grimmauld Place. And uh, one thing that he says, though, that just kind of piqued my interest was he said that Sirius has always had odd taste in house guests. <laughs> and that got me thinking, like, who? Who else has been to Grimmauld Place that Phineas would consider to be odd? Mm. I mean, James is a pureblood wizard, so I don't think that the Black family would have any issue with him showing up right but i'm wondering like did remus come over did he transform one time maybe run around the house <laughs> you know chase chase creature He's definitely referring to the marauders <laughs> yeah i think so yeah but Pettigrew, maybe maybe some lady friend <laughs> maybe maybe phineas gets peer pressured into going to relay relay the message to sirius and dumbledore starts reviewing an instrument nobody really understands what it's doing it's spinning it's making noises um, and he pulls up a snake. He's talking to himself out loud and he says, but in essence divided. And we didn't really know what this meant, but J.K. Rowling did say later post Deathly Hallows in a web chat that in this moment, Dumbledore learned of Nagini being a Horcrux and Harry's connection to Voldemort via Horcruxes. Mm. So this is just some classic... Uh, writing from J.K. Rowling, where we see Dumbledore have this major revelation, but it just gets kind of glossed over. 
it's kind of like Dumbledore's um, the twinkle in his eye moment. Yeah. There's just like this major realization and we none of us know the significance of it. Obviously, Dumbledore, as usual, isn't announcing what he just discovered. But in bonus MuggleCast today, we will talk more about this instrument. It sounds like it's a pensive, according to J.K. Rowling herself. Yeah. yeah. So we'll talk about that over on patreon but yeah dumbledore does have a big realization here but this is all following his interrogation of of harry right he's asking him all these questions and harry is kind of a bit dumbfounded because he doesn't understand how dumbledore could possibly know (laughs) really what it is that he's experienced yeah but he does because that's dumbledore Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the other aspect of this is when he's grilling harry or 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 once it's once he's just finished he leans over to fox and is having Fox, I guess, kind of stand guard for them? It's a really interesting thing. He says to Fox that they need a warning. This made me think of the song Calling All Angels by Train. <laughs> I need a sign to let me know she's here. <laughs> <laughs> you know, people don't like it when you sing, Andrew. I don't know if you but saw that. But this was a brilliant review. connection, so I had to bring I it love up. it. Make the music connection in reverse. Yeah. It's well done. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, and then so this feather, like basically, a, a feather appears in, in the middle of the the office, and then Dumbledore says in explanation, "It is Fox's warning. She must know you're out of your beds, Minerva. Go head her off. Tell her any story." So Fox is, I guess, clearly spying on Umbridge at this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can, I can imagine Fox being like, you know, oh crap, like. I get umbrage duty out of all of this. Like, I, I'm this legendary bird. I, I work with Dumbledore and I'm stuck right? following this toad. No, thank you. Yeah, exactly. But hmm. it, it made me think though, too, how is it that umbrage knows that they're out of bed? Because right. what the hell? I think it's Mrs. Norris because they oh, pass her. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh. Darn it. JK Rowling's so clever sometimes. And McGonagall tells Mrs. Norris basically to go F off. Yeah. Who probably goes to Filch. It goes to Umbridge. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if it is, you know, I, I still think that this is McGonagall's situation to worry about, right? She's the head of Gryffindor. So if a couple of her students are out of bed, then it's her responsibility to deal with it, not Umbridge's. So right. I was a little surprised, though, that Dumbledore sends McGonagall in this moment. Maybe that's the reason why. But why not have Fox try and derail, derail her could you imagine what would happen if umbridge came like face to face with this big flaming bird in the middle of like the hogwarts hallway <laughs> she'd probably crap her pants like yeah and run the other way or she'd go like I, I don't know but you know what i'm saying yeah i i also thought initially when dumbledore said that he needed a warning and that and this is because it's been a while since i've read this chapter i thought fox was basically gonna like go from member to member of the order and like let them know what has happened maybe that's the sign that something was wrong but no it's it's umbridge duty that's yeah i mean if fox can apparate and disapparate which we're just saying is what's happening here now he could presumably warn the other members of the order right away um dumbledore could give him a you know a letter to carry or something but um it definitely i i think the problem is if fox were to confront umbridge directly she would know that it was dumbledore who was confronting her, right? Like mm, that's true. it's such a, it's the calling card. It's like a telltale sign. It's like Dumbledore sent his bird. So, but how does Fox know? Like that, that's my question. Like, or how do you know, like Umbridge is just in her office or, and like 
fox is lurking outside the window and like all the little kittens are like running inside because they're scared that there's a big ass flaming bird outside of the window you know like i don't know yeah. like how do, how is fox able to essentially tail umbrage and, and well maybe like dumbledore fox can make himself has other means of making himself invisible <laughs> than wearing a cloak like he can just in this chapter, Fox apparates and disapparates and also goes invisible. Yeah, and like transfers this feather across Hogwarts. So if Fox can do all these things, then I think um, he can easily track Umbridge. So so is this something that a regular Phoenix could do? Or is it because like we're learning in Fantastic Beasts? I mean, here's the thing that that is the real joy of reading these types of things in Order of the Phoenix is because it, it, it could play a part in future Fantastic Beasts films with the Dumbledore and Phoenix connection. Like they're real tight in this chapter and they can do weird, crazy magic. Yeah. And I would say beasts quote unquote, right. They, they factor in a lot to this chapter, whether you're talking about Nagini, you're talking about Fox, um, Mm -hmm. Mrs. Norris, not a beast necessarily, but you know, still a beast. (laughs) And then even creature, right so mm-hmm. yeah um in terms of means of communication they all kind of play a role um in this chapter as it relates to that absolutely so through all of this and we mentioned this a few minutes ago so we don't have to dive into it too much but dumbledore is shying away from looking at harry and decides to send harry ron and the rest of the weasleys back to grimaud place as a precaution right before they port key back to grimaud place Harry suddenly has this fit of rage. He feels like a snake again, and he wants to attack Dumbledore. And um, Harry, in this moment, does not understand why he's feeling this way, and he reports this to Sirius, and he's trying to figure it, figure it out. But we know now, in hindsight, this is the Horcrux talking. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And do we think Dumbledore allowed his eyes to meet Harry so that Harry would have some clue what was going on? Mm, I don't think so. I think it would just be by accident. Yeah, they're all about to grab like the board key and then Dumbledore's eyes kind of casually look over and that's when Harry feels it. But it but it is it it does have that effect of kind of giving Harry something to, to I wanted to say gnaw on, um, to think about. Chew on this, Harry, while you're at Grimwald Place for a little while. Yeah. As if he doesn't have enough to be anxious about, he gets to think about the fact that he wanted to rip Dumbledore's face off. <laughs> Uh, in, in the in that moment but i wonder though too we talked horcrux but i do think there's part of him that enhances this moment because he is so frustrated and pissed off with how dumbledore has been treating him yeah. since mm-hmm. the end of last term mm-hmm. right there's been no communication no eye-to-eye contact minus this moment it's just been complete you know, like isolation for Harry. And this is somebody that he's normally very close with. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. And so I think that it just, it escalates the situation for him. Well, and we definitely see in Deathly Hallows that being in close proximity to a Horcrux for an extended period of time will sort of exacerbate your emotional reactions yep. to things. So that makes total sense here, but it does make me wonder, you know, at any other of point in the series where harry has had an overreaction to Mm. something is that the horcrux it's possible i mean but harry has overreactions to like snape being a you know what Mm. or umbridge or draco and those are all deserved whether or not harry is a horcrux but 
you know, Sirius tries to downplay Harry's feelings in that moment before entering the port key. And nobody does bring up to him, hey, maybe it could just be that you're mad at Dumbledore. You're mad that you haven't been able to see him, spend time with him, and you're mad that Dumbledore is ignoring you. Right. I completely agree with your point, Micah. But he doesn't consider that. Yeah. Who who considers how Harry is feeling? Um, and Harry hates port keys so much mm-hmm. because they're so uncomfortable that that feeling of being pulled behind your navel. Yeah. Uh, like just uh, your core. Harry didn't consider that either. Maybe that's why he wanted to kill Dumbledore in that moment. <laughs> Not a port key. No, no. And I just got to see you. I wanted to party with you in the portraits. Portrait party. Mm-hmm. I feel like. When they land at Grimmauld Place, this is so easy to miss, but it's kind of a crucial moment. It's The book says, His feet hit the ground so hard that his knees buckled. The kettle clattered to the ground, and somewhere close at hand, a voice said, Back again, the blood traitor brats, is it their true, their father's dying, dot, dot, dot. Out, roared a second voice. So Sirius has commanded Creature to go away. Yeah, how do we feel about this? Like it, Mm. it's for me, right? This is what sets him free, or or sort of begins the process of of him, you know, informing on the other side. In my mind, he's just telling him to get the bleep out of the room, right? Mm -hmm. Which I'm sure Creature has heard many times from Sirius, uh, you know, so over the years, right? Yeah. This this is meant to be the linchpin. This is somehow meant to be more powerful, and this is what allows creature to go visit Auntie Bellatrix. But you're right; it is kind of similar. Like it doesn't necessarily hold up under scrutiny, um, as far as it being something so distinctive that Sirius says. Unless I'm misremembering, but um, you know they try and call on creature later for breakfast and he's nowhere to be found right he won't come and what i thought was interesting was that um the description of creature after sirius tells him to get out it says creature was disappearing through the door to the hall looking back at them malevolently and i i just feel like that's a very like very specific description there mm. Like, I, I can see Creature being like, mm, all right. This is, yeah, it's definitely. Got you now. This is the, the point where Creature takes himself to be free. Like, yeah. or not free free, but, you know, he's still bound to the blacks. He pauses on the landing, though, too, from what I remember. And he mm. listens into Harry's story. Hmm. So he's clearly spying and, and going to take that information and. That's really the the information that ends up being the most useful, I think, for for Voldemort uh, when it comes to the end of this book with with yeah. giving him the fake, you know, I don't know what you call it, memory or just what's happening to Sirius inside the Department uh, of Mysteries. Yeah. Um, and we know that Creature was eavesdropping on Phineas Black as well, because he said, is it true their father's dying? Um, he knows about the Weasleys and about what what is happening with Arthur. Yeah. Yep. Um, kind of a, a really interesting late night powwow with Sirius as it turns out. And he really, we've talked at length and even this book has brought up Sirius's parenting skills and whether or not he, you know, is a good guardian for Harry or anything, but Sirius really is able to successfully advocate for Fred and George in particular to stay and lay low. They want to go see their dad and it, makes perfect sense 
right? They want to go to St. Mungo's. They want to make sure he's okay. But Sirius really has to, I mean, at, at times it seems like physically hold them back. And he tries to explain, no, like, what would it look like if you stayed, if, if you showed up before, basically before the rest of the world knows and you know that there is something wrong with your dad? Like, it's refreshing to see him be so responsible. Yeah. We're used to him being mischievous. We're used to him being flippant. Yeah. But in this moment, he's acting like the adult. So good job. And he restrains himself, right? There's a moment where he looks like he's going to hit one of the twins because of, <laughs> of a comment that's made about basically him being useless to the order, sitting around Grimmauld Place all day. And he just, he's able to almost internalize it, calm himself and present you know, sort of these rational statements back. And I think it does show a mature moment, something we rarely see from Sirius. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm quite proud of Sirius in this moment. Sirius is my guy. But uh, it's really the interesting thing. So they, they, they just have no news at this point. They, their ability to act is out of their hands. And I feel like I'm getting flashbacks to childhood. Have we ever had these just moments where we have to, it's the long, hard, cold waiting? I'm sure we've all been there at some point, you know, waiting on a relative in the hospital, waiting to hear the news. It's so tense. And actually reading over this section, it gave me flashbacks to my own memory of having to sit through something like this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is one of those things that you look at differently when you're reading it as an adult. When we're kids, many of us uh, hadn't been in this situation yet. So mm -hmm. the perspective changes as you get older. Yeah. Real appreciation for the way that J.K. Rowling is writing it, you know? Mm -hmm. But eventually Molly arrives. The first thing she says is he's alive, mm -hmm. <laughs> which is good. That's the, you know, that's the news they wanted. But it's so tense because the Owl Network is being you know, watch the flu network is being watched. Like the, the means of communication are so strict, like, and limited at this point that it's, you know, she has to come there physically. And that's the, after several hours, that's the news that they get. Yeah. Maybe after this, they should have a better method of communication to relay messages, you know, something like a cell phone. Why don't they just ask Hermione what she's been doing with <laughs> Dumbledore's army? Like, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Well, they try to black out Hermione from these order meetings. And so Hermione's probably like, well, they don't deserve my brilliance. Yeah, why isn't she coming to Grimmauld Place, right? I mean, she didn't get the invite. <laughs> yeah, Nobody that too. Yeah, up. so she shouldn't share any of this information. <laughs> well, also, they're they're keeping Dumbledore's army secret. Or they're trying to keep it as secret as they can. Um, because there's, you know, a mixed reception to it among order members. Right. Look at how Mrs. Weasley responded to it, for example. Well, Hermione could have just been like, we use these coins just to talk with each other during class. Not for any secret organizations that you wouldn't approve of. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and then just kind of to wrap things up for now, what do we think McGonagall told Umbridge about why the Gryffindors were out? They were... Just being bad kids. And McGonagall <laughs> gave him detention. You don't have to worry about it, Umbridge. But Umbridge now gets to oversee all punishments, right? Right. So she gets to, like, weigh in. Well, McGonagall said that she is going to leave scars on the kids' booties. Oh. 
and Umbridge really liked that. She didn't need to be convinced any further. She was like, oh, Minerva, you fiend. And then I only went what? for the hands. You went for the rears? Yeah. That's fantastic. Good night. <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> oh. well, do you... This is devolving very no, quickly. Well, do you guys know what McGonagall told Umbridge? No, I'm wondering how close this is, though, to the actual holiday, though, because, you know, in previous chapter, they're talking about what they're going to do over Christmas, right? And mm. they're obviously now home early. They've gone home early before the end of term. So I wonder how that all gets explained away, at least from Harry's standpoint, because you know you could understand the Weasleys going to see their dad because of what's happened, right? They they exit early. But what about Harry? Like, how does that get explained away? Do we know? I mean, and nothing's ringing a bell on my end. No. I don't. I don't see. If you went on the HP lexicon, yeah. you can probably find out they have a timeline there. But yeah, I, I just, know. I think McGonagall just like stunned Umbridge, threw her in a broom <laughs> closet, and then just like went to bed. Oh, That's, you said I was crazy. <laughs> so this leads into our Umbridge suck count. It currently stands at forty-seven. Umbridge obviously doesn't have a major role in this entire chapter actually, but I think we can give her one point for not just sleeping through the night without creeping on the kids. Yep. I'm going to give her another one for wasting a fox feather. <laughs> oh, dang. Those are precious. Yeah, it's, not like, it's not like those <laughs> things just grow back. No. It takes a little bit of time, Eric. Yeah, and to, to and how up, about for wasting McGonagall's time? Poor fox has to deal with umbrage on a Saturday, well, remember, I presume, we're, night. We're not, I don't know that we're going to get to do any more Umbridge sucks in the next half of the chapter. So we should at least take advantage of this. Mm. I think you have to be kind of fair to Umbridge. I hate to say that, but I think the nice thing about the Umbridge suck count is we are genuinely trying to figure out how many times she did suck. Yeah. So I don't want to go too crazy. I think it's good at two. Okay. Yeah, I think that's fair. <laughs> All right. Well, we have some threads to connect. Um, one of the first ones that I thought was really interesting between Prisoner of Azkaban and Order of the Phoenix is that at this point in Order of the Phoenix, as well as the end of Prisoner of Azkaban, Dumbledore is including Harry and his friends in purposefully undermining the ministry to save a key Order member. Um, so we'll all remember at the end of Prisoner of Azkaban, Fudge is already at Hogwarts, the events at the Shrieking Shack have transpired. Sirius is locked up in a tower. The Dementors are preparing to administer the kiss. And Dumbledore just hears Harry and Hermione's recounting of the events, acknowledges that there is like little to no evidence to support them. But he's like, ah, I believe you anyway, <laughs> and sends them back in time to save Sirius and Buckbeak. Mm. Um, here, the evidence is obviously far more you know believable i would say however we're still relying on a dream that harry had but dumbledore deliberately circumvents umbridge as she's trying to figure out what's happening in order to get harry and the weasleys away from hogwarts and her in order to ultimately save arthur and also create a cover story for him so that he doesn't get in trouble for being where he was at the time hmm. nice um then I thought I thought this was really interesting because I get that Harry's frustrated with Dumbledore here. Dumbledore has a history throughout this series of not being terribly clear with his intentions. So 
at the end of Prisoner of Azkaban, when he's explaining to Hermione what she needs to do with the time turner, and Harry's like, what are you talking about? Dumbledore says, 13th window from the right of the West Tower. If all goes well, you may be able to save more than one innocent life tonight. Oh, I love Why that. Not, why not just say, save Buckbeak and Sirius? <laughs> <laughs> what if, what, or here's an alternate reading. What if he was talking about a different life entirely? What if somebody else, oh, yeah. can, like, 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 what if one of Sprout's assistants got uh, attacked by a venomous attacker right. and Dumbledore was like, I meant for you to save them. There's a world Ford. of possibilities. <laughs> yeah. Go out there and see how many people you can save. But then he literally, after this, he's just like, good luck <laughs> and leaves. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and Harry seems to be okay with this lack of clarity as long as he feels like he has an in with Dumbledore. <laughs> yeah. So it's really, the, it's really the fact that he doesn't have an in with Dumbledore anymore that's so frustrating to him. And we already talked about the portion, uh, you know, earlier in the chapter where he's like, but in essence divided, he's doing this in front of everybody while they're all being like, yeah, my dad's bleeding out somewhere what are you doing man so yeah divided right so actually i would argue that dumbledore has been doing this for a very long time and harry is only frustrated now because dumbledore won't acknowledge his existence mm -hmm. um and then this was a cool one so there's a really interesting parallel i think between snape and creature um mm. so at the end of prisoner of azkaban Snape is really beside himself about uh, Dumbledore seemingly taking Harry and Hermione's side. Dumbledore communicates that he wants to speak to Harry and Hermione alone to hear their recounting of the events. Snape goes off and is like, oh, come on, this is completely ridiculous. Sirius Black was showing that he was capable of being a killer when he was in school. Do you not remember when he tried to kill me, Dumbledore? And Dumbledore still pushes Snape out of the room so that Snape cannot be involved in this conversation. Hmm. At the end of the book, following the events that allowed Sirius to escape, Snape is so frustrated by how everything played out that he just lets slip that Remus Lupin is a werewolf. And this results in Lupin having to resign his post at Hogwarts and also creates further employment uh, difficulties for him down the road. Hmm. So Snape in this way has betrayed a marauder. Well, Creature is, I, I would argue, more rudely banished mm. from a dramatic interaction of everybody arriving at uh, at Grimald Place. And he's probably kind of wanting to be in on the action. Sirius yells at him to get out. And we know now that this is the moment where Creature interprets that he's been banished. Right. And this is what opens up the opportunity for him to uh, sort of set into play the sequence of events that directly lead to Sirius's death. Hmm. So he also betrays a marauder. Wow. Nice. nice. Yeah. Very interesting. All right. It's time for MVP of the week. I'm going to give it to the portraits for this fascinating network of portraits that they can jump between. They saved Arthur Weasley. Nice. Um, I'm to give it to Sirius, just because I felt like, despite everything that was going on in his treatment of Creature side, in that moment where he needed to come through as a mature adult, he did. I'm going to give it to Arthur, because even though we haven't actually seen him in this chapter yet, we do learn that he pulls through 
And I just got to give it to him for recognizing that, you know, there are some things that are just more important and that he's willing to put his life on the line for what's right. And I gave my MVP of the week to Sirius also for maintaining a cool head um, and really helped for once, like just handling Fred and George's criticism, first of all, for handling them and then for handling their criticism really responsibly. All right, let's rename the chapter Order of the Phoenix, Chapter 22, Portraits to the Rescue! Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, Chapter 22, The Godfather. Mm. <laughs> oh, nice. Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, Chapter 22, Imposter Syndrome. Hmm. Nice. Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, Chapter 22, Redhead Rescue Mission. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where I came up. I was I was failing to come up with a title until I wasn't. No, I like that. Uh. I like it too. <laughs> if you have any feedback about today's discussion, send it on in MuggleCast at gmail.com or use the contact form on MuggleCast.com. We would also love your feedback about the second half of this chapter. We might incorporate it into next week's episode of MuggleCast. It's time now for Quizage. It's all St. Mungo's, baby. This time and next time. But last week's question was, what is the name of the department store front which hides St. Mungo's to the muggles? The correct answer is Purge and Dow's Limited, which was awesome. We had eight winners this week, including Becca, Reese with Outer Spoon, Caleb McReynolds, Wolf 13 Erica, I Miss Sports, Jenny Bees, and Count Ravioli. Stay safe, Count Ravioli. Thinking of you. <laughs> <laughs> And all the other yes. seven people, of that, course, of uh, course, <laughs> sent in their answers. You know, Eric, I'm wondering. You proposed three Quizage questions last week. Is this the reason why you wanted to split the chapter so that you could <laughs> use two of the three two. questions? <laughs> Maybe I don't know. It's all it. It all happened so organically, Micah. I can't really pinpoint any one occurrence. But next week's question will also have to do with Saint Mungo's chapter, the one we are. Just read part one of. What color robes do the healers of St. Mungo's wear? And submit your answer to us over on Twitter at MuggleCast with hashtag Quizich. Happy playing. We would also love if you joined us over on Patreon. Patreon.com slash MuggleCast is where you can support the show. By doing so, you will have access to our live stream so you can join us as we are recording each episode. If you pledge at the $5 level or higher, you will be eligible for this year's physical gift, which we hope to announce in the weeks ahead. You will also get access to bonus MuggleCast and so much more. So thank you, everybody, for supporting us. We appreciate it extra right now because, um, you know, in these uncertain times, we're also losing a couple of advertisers because they're uncertain about advertising as well. So we could really use your support in keeping this show funded. And uh, we have so many benefits there. We just really love this community of listeners and patrons. One of our newer benefits has been recording a personalized thank you message to each new person who pledges. And that has been so much fun. And I know everybody's been liking those as well. So if you do pledge today, you will get a video message from one of the four of us in about a week's time. 
And I mentioned bonus MuggleCast coming up today, like I mentioned, over on Patreon. We will be discussing the instrument in Dumbledore's office and what the hell that was and J.K. Rowling's comments on it. So stay tuned for that. Again, that will be available at patreon.com slash MuggleCast. Thank you, thank you, thank you to everybody who supports us and everybody who listens. And like I said at the top of the show, we hope you're all doing well and We hope that MuggleCast has been a source of comfort for you. And if you're looking for some extra comfort, do check out that live show that we did. It's available to everybody. Check it out on our social media channels. We think you'll enjoy it a lot. Like Micah mentioned, we played Heads Up, and that was a lot of fun. (laughs) It's like uh, the game Password, but with a modern twist. And we also shared a bunch of uh, Harry Potter items that all of us have sort of uh, accumulated over the years and uh that was fun yeah we did a show and tell yeah show and tell mm-hmm. live show and it was tell fun all right thank you everybody so much for listening i'm andrew i'm eric i'm micah and i'm laura goodbye bye bye, bye.